Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast about children's development from the Center for Inclusive Childcare. Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast from the Center for Inclusive Childcare. I'm Priscilla Wild, the Executive Director, and I'm here today with two great guests. We are visiting today with Ariel Handevit, who is the Director of Early Childhood at the Northside Achievement Zone, and also Lily Crooks, who is the Director of the Seward Child Care uh, Center in Minneapolis. And today our focus is going to be on a discussion about trauma and really becoming trauma-aware in the care that we provide for young children and their families in the early childhood setting. So it's so great to talk with you two. Thank you for being here with us, Ariel and Lily. And I think, um, you know, I'm really here as kind of a listener facilitator, but I know that Ariel and Lily have had many conversations on this topic, and I know that, Ariel, you've seen firsthand how um, Seward, as an early childhood setting, has really looked at working on understanding trauma and how that affects young children and their needs. And so today we're just going to kind of delve into some of those pieces that are really essential to becoming trauma aware. And this is all part of um, MACMA, um, the Minnesota Association for Early Childhood, uh, for Children's Mental Health, Infant and Early Childhood Division. They have a Minnesota Preschool Development Grant, and they're really looking at resources around healing-centered practice. And so this is part of that partnership, and we're grateful as the Center for Inclusive Child Care to also be involved in that. So I'm just going to hand it off to you, Ariel, and let you kind of chat with Lily, and I'll chime in when I have questions. And um, and then we're hoping that we're going to also do a second part to this podcast as well. So welcome, both of you. Awesome. Thanks, Priscilla, for having us. I'm very excited. I have had the honor to work with Lily at Seward Childcare um, as a coach in my previous role, and it was just lovely to see the care that they're providing for children and just how trauma-informed the center really is in all of their practices. And so I'm excited to talk a little bit today and just kind of give some background on what does it mean to be trauma-informed and trauma-sensitive and responsive um, and how does that play out in the early childhood setting? So Lily will be able to give us some more context for what does that look like when you're really implementing it in your centers or in your family child care. And these are all things that we already know that early childhood educators are very aware of and doing. And so it's exciting to highlight that and highlight the care that's happening, how we might expand on that. So thanks for being here, Lily. And I'll kind of talk a little bit more about um, what does it mean to be trauma aware? So um, when we're thinking about trauma where it's really understanding that stress and trauma does impact a young child and their family, and um, it is really understanding why it's important to have trauma-informed care in early childhood. So when we are experiencing, um, when we are trauma-aware in early childhood spaces, it's really being prepared for children and families that are experiencing trauma and that knowing our environments are set up to support children with stress and trauma before it even happens. And so, Lily, when you think about your environment at Seward, what are the things that are there that you do to support being trauma aware? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. And it's very exciting to have this conversation with both of you. I'm very happy to be here. Um, well, I think, like you said, this is already stuff that a lot of early childhood educators um, are striving to do, or it's the goal of high quality early childhood education is already meeting some needs 
that can support trauma uh, or, or children and families experiencing trauma. So things like a, a set routine, visuals in the classroom that are ready and available and at children's level, an organized and welcoming classroom space. So things that aren't too cluttered, things that are very clear uh, where this is where your stuff goes. This is where this activity happens. This is where you can take space. Um, things like uh, forming early partnerships and relationships with parents, even in small ways. Um, all these things are not just a, a special thing at Seward, but but something that high quality educators are striving to do. And so I think um, finding curriculums and assessments and um, coaching and support uh, in what child care centers are already doing really can enhance their um their ability to uh, support those children in, in in any situation, whether it's it's a, a stressful change in their life, like moving or like a more intense trauma. Um, specifically to our uh, school, I feel like our curriculum high scope really prioritizes routine um, and problem solving and child directed play. All those things are putting um, the children first, but creating predictability and a space where they can predict what's going to happen next, but still be themselves or have some agency and maybe planning how the day goes. I think the flexibility of our routine sounds maybe um, counterintuitive that you would be flexible with a stringent routine, but having the opportunity for children to say, oh, I know that next is this, but can we make a plan to do something different really gives us kids a lot of agency and um, and allows for meeting the kids where they're at on any given day while still providing that um, predictability. Um, and I, I do also want to go back to visuals because HighScope has a lot of things like mes message board and um, Name all our kids have letter links, which is a whole other thing. But that's a way that pre-literacy um, learning, so that kids can read and see what is happening in their classroom and what is going on in the day to day, um, really helps with with creating uh, smooth transitions, so that the, those parts of the day can often be very challenging. Um, but but keeping those transitions predictable and easily communicated to the children um, using visuals is a really helpful tool. Yeah, I specifically think of one example at Seward that I want to highlight when it comes to being trauma aware, the space in one of your school classrooms noticed right away. And there's one of the big blocks that children can step on and it's in front of a window. And it's yes. in front of a window um, very intentionally. And I feel like this is a trauma aware space uh, time that we can highlight, but I don't know if you want to speak more to that block and kind of how children use it in your classroom. And I feel like that just speaks to tra being trauma aware. Absolutely. So um, both of our preschool classrooms have hello, goodbye stools now. They were blocks before. Now we have specifically labeled hello, goodbye stools. And it actually got to a point that one of the windows that the children can look out uh on the exterior of the building, there's a garden and that little spot is totally worn where 
nothing can grow because parents know that that's a window that they can also use. So it becomes a consistent place where children can pop up on the block or the stool, look out the window, parents can say their goodbyes that way. Um, and then also if they're feeling uh, anxious or sad throughout the day and they want to just look out the window and, and see if if uh, a parent is returning. It's just a good um, comforting thing that is always there that they can use, that they can go to at any time in the day. And then, and then also knowing, being able to show that to the parents and say, so this is the window on the outside. And if you can exit the room, that will help your, your uh, uh, drop off or pick up for the day. Yeah, that's a lovely way. That that was one unique thing I saw about Stuart is the hello goodbye window. And I did see, I saw the stool there when I had arrived and I wondered kind of what it was for. And then um, as I observed in the classroom, I was able to see a child use the hello goodbye window. And so she went up to the stool and I saw her parents outside the window and they had this little choreographed dance that they all did together. Um, and it seemed just a really great opportunity. I'm sure the mom and the dad and the, and the child had choreographed this on their own. It wasn't something that Seward did. But again, it's being aware that goodbyes um, and transitions with parents are something that can be really stressful for young children and can actually be something that um, had a trauma in the past. And so Seward's aware that that's something that happens and put something in place to help that facilitate that and be a little easier. So I appreciate you sharing about the Hello Goodbye window. I think it's a really good example of a, a way you can support children in the classroom um, and, and support Seward to be trauma aware. So as we, that's a really good segue into thinking about, um, trauma sensitive and trauma responsiveness and, and what that looks like, um, in an early childhood setting. And so really when you're trauma sensitive and trauma responsive, it's the ways in which you support young children and their families through a stress and trauma lens. So I really think of being trauma sensitive and responsive as an active process, when you are trauma aware, it is carrying out the knowledge that trauma exists. But when you're trauma sensitive and responsive, it's taking that one step further and asking yourself, what are you going to do to support children, uh, young children who are experiencing trauma? So Lily, can you think of a strategy or an active strategy that you implement at Seward um, that is responsive to stress and trauma of the children and families you serve? So there are so many things I could speak to on this, but um, two things I really want to highlight are um, our persona doll use. Another uh, curriculum that we utilize um, is a maze, which was locally developed and is an anti-bias curriculum. And they uh, developed persona dolls, which are child-sized dolls um, that have their own backstories and were developed by people in different communities so that the doll comes with information and uh, familial structures and cultural uh, identities that can uh, provide a different lens uh, for experiences, but also the doll can become um, the focus for a problem in the classroom or perhaps something that a family or a child is going through. So classic example of um, a new baby coming into a child's life. And rather than saying, oh, everyone, Billy is going to have a new baby in his house. I wonder how he feels about that. Let's talk about new babies because Billy's having a new baby come to his house. And all of a sudden, all the attention is on Billy. And maybe he doesn't know how he feels about it yet. And maybe it's very stressful for him to try and articulate that. Instead, you bring in the persona doll and you say, oh, remember, this is our persona doll, Richard. And Richard's 
mama is going to have a baby soon and Richard's feeling and you bring in some feelings that Richard might be feeling and have the children talk about that with the doll being the focus rather than a specific child in your classroom. And we've used that for everything from children who are going to different types of therapy, children who are moving to a new house, children whose parents are perhaps divorcing or separating, um, even to like name calling in the classroom so that you're not shaming the naughty children for calling people names. Instead, this this doll is coming and saying, wow, I'm having trouble at my school. Can you help me? And having the kids problem solve there on the carpet and and without the pressure of being the focus of the problem or the or the issue. Um, so that's something I'm really proud of that we use a lot. And and even with our toddlers, I Ariel, I can't remember if you met Pierce, the persona pet. Um, but with the toddlers, we have a a persona pet who is a porcupine named Pierce and we use Pierce a lot. Pierce misses his parents a lot. And so Aww. if children are feeling sad, we bring Pierce out and say, Oh, Pierce is also sad and he really likes a gentle touch and he really likes a blanket and children will often bring their lovies and give Pierce gentle touches and talk to Pierce about their parents. Even, you know, when they're pre-verbal, they can give Pierce a hug because he's also feeling sad. So that's something that we are also using even with our youngest children. Wow. Glad that you brought up the persona doll. That's a really good example. And I've seen um, this used in other early childhood settings as well. And so I think it's a really accessible way to start exploring um, being trauma responsive to the children in the classroom without putting any children on the spot. And and the other thing you mentioned about the persona dolls that I think is so critical to this is um, equity and relationships. And so you're, you're making an equitable process for children. You can bring in other cultural values into the conversation and making sure different family structures are valued and heard in that. And then all within the context of relationships, we know that the relationship between a young child and their caregiver or parent are so important. And so that doll can kind of encompass some of those relationships um, and help children to process some of those big emotions. So I'm, I'm glad we were able to talk a little bit about um, um, those persona dolls. Well, and I think it's as far as it being an active strategy as well, we don't only use the persona doll when something traumatic is happening in a child's life. We're using the persona doll when, you know, for, for, a, a regular lesson on inclusion, perhaps, or like, oh, the persona doll is going to come and visit and talk about cleaning up the blocks. You know, like the we we use it so that the children have a relationship with this doll as well that is outside of just. It's not a doll that only comes to class with big problems. It's a doll that comes to class to visit and hang out. Um, and and again, when you mention relationships, I think that as an active strategy of maintaining um, a strong and engaged staff uh, is is key because those relationships with children are important, but especially for us as a really small center, relationships between the classrooms, relationships between me and the teachers, um, teachers with children that aren't even in their class yet, and then of course with parents as well. Um, an active strategy we implement for sure is being an attractive place to work and taking care of our staff and making sure that they feel empowered and supported and um, are staying so that we have consistent care and continuity of care as best we can through um, the years that the children are with us. 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that leads to thinking about being trauma informed, and and really when we think about being trauma informed, it involves a lot of collaboration between many different systems that young children and families interact with to understand the importance of the practice we talked about trauma aware, trauma sensitive, and trauma responsive. So it's beyond the work that we're doing in the classroom with young children and families, but it involves all of the systems that touch those families' lives. And I think you spoke just directly to the teachers and staff being valued, and that is a really important piece of being trauma aware and something you carry as a director. And we'll we'll continue that conversation in the second podcast. But I'm really interested to know more um, now about what does it mean to be trauma informed at Seward? What are those what are different systems you might be interacting with or collaborating with to ensure more um, trauma-informed care for your for the children and families? And then as you think about our greater system of child care, what does that look like? Right. So, I mean, I, I mentioned teacher consistency in general, and that's on us kind of individually, right, as a center. What can we do? What do what, um resources do we have that we can put towards our teachers so that they stay with us and then we have consistency of care and predictability. Um, but then also uh, reaching out to a greater network and a greater web of supports because we're not the only, sometimes it feels like it, but we're not the only support systems for these kids and families. They have a lot of um, other things that they rely on. And so Everything from making sure we have a relationship with Minneapolis public schools when we're reaching out to them for assessments or for um, any uh, early childhood special ed support that might be coming in from them. So making sure we know who those folks are and um, and giving, you know, making them more a part of the community. Um, things like working with the Center for Inclusive Child Care um, and Washburn Center, both of those organizations have been really valuable to us just as an outside perspective um, because the staff really need support around um, being validated, but also being given that outside eye on what they're doing um, so that they can adjust and learn and grow as well as being reminded how great they are and reminded, you know, what their strengths are. Um, and also, I mean, I think in the, the dream world, right, you, we all have extra time to partner with other preschools. Um, I've been able to do that a little bit, but um, finding the different strengths of organizations around you and trying to share that information and learn from each other um, is really valuable because, Childcare is in a high demand everywhere, and I want to be able to recommend high-quality childcare centers to families that might never get into our center because we're really tiny and we have a really long wait list. And creating that web of support where it's we're not in competition with other businesses, we're in community with other educators. Hmm. That's lovely. Well, I think, you know, as um, we've touched on some really great, important pieces of the day-to-day -day and the way that you've set things up, Lily, in um, your childcare setting at Seward, I love the way that child at the center really is able to just kind of thrive. And then you, as the adults in their world, have put together all that's necessary to kind of be that buffer, that system of support. And through the persona dolls and the way that your staff is informed and supported, all of those things are happening behind the scenes so that that child can just show up every day and be successful. And I think that that's the beauty of 
you know, that quality care, that really deep connection um, and the willingness of you as a leader in your setting and also as your staff um, set up their classroom settings to really be successful and supportive for kids. It just it builds that skill base for the young children that you serve and also educates their families in all of this as well. Um, so I thank you for, I think what we're going to do is just, I'm going to pose a little question to our listeners who are um, taking in this information and just really asking you to respond to us on Facebook to let us know what you think as far as um, hopefully during the course of this podcast, you've realized that you as a childcare professional are doing some things that are really trauma sensitive in your setting. So share those things with us. And um, we'd love to hear more about that. And I also want to highlight a great opportunity that's coming up on July 29th. We, um, in partnership with MACMA IEC, um, are going to be doing a Facebook live event um, from 6.30 to 8 at a park in St. Paul um, for some lucky individuals who get to attend in person. And then we're hoping that we're going to have a great following on Facebook as well. And so more details to come on that. And we're really excited to have an opportunity to have a panel of different individuals who are working in the field of early childhood to help support trauma-informed and trauma-insensitive and trauma-aware care. So um, with that, I think we're going to wrap up for part one. And I look forward to coming back with Ariel and Lily in part two to delve deeper into this topic. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit us at inclusivechildcare.org.